Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 24. And this evening we uh, come to a close of our study on the book of Samuel, which we have been doing uh, uh, for these past two years. And we're coming uh, to this final chapter together. 2 Samuel chapter 24 on page 277. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army, who was with him, Go through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and number the people, that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord the King still see it. But why does my Lord the King delight in this thing? But the King's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the King to number the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and began at Aror. And from the city that is in the middle of the valley toward Gad and on to uh, Jazir. Then they came to Gilead and to Kadesh in the land of the Hittites. And they came to Dan, and from Dan they went around to Sidon and came to the fortress of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And they went out to the Negeb of Judah at Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, 
it is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arorna, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arorna, the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Arorna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arorna uh, went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Arorna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Arorna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Arorna gives to the king. And Arorna said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Arorna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land. And the plague was averted from Israel. In 1931, the government of Canada conducted a census. It was the seventh census uh, that our government conducted. But in the preface, in the introductory matter of that census, the government of Canada felt it was necessary to explain and to justify what it was doing. This is 1931. The government of Canada began in their introductory matter by saying, when David conducted a census about 3,000 years ago, he acted very foolishly. But what we are doing today is very different from what David did back then. In the introductory matter of that census, it explained that in times past, in ancient times, people numbered their peoples, they numbered their kingdom for the purpose of gathering men for war, for taxation, uh, and for understanding the political status of their reign. And what the government of Canada said is, is that we expressly forbid any of these purposes. Our purpose in having a census is none of the above. Instead, the census went on to say, from the census of ancient times, however, the census of today is far removed in character and in purpose. That's a striking statement because there's the government of Canada paying attention to something that happened 3,000 years ago and feels the need to comment on it even in the act of taking a census themselves. It shows something of the sensitivity uh, that uh, citizens of Canada had uh, back in 1931 to the teaching of God's word. 
It gives us an insight into something of the, the flavor of Canada back in 1931. But it also highlights something of the significance of David's actions here in 2 Samuel. That David is remembered for many things. And one of them uh, is this foolish thing here that he does in having a census of numbering his own people. And this evening we want to think about why is it that David's census is something that is so well known. And why it is is that Samuel includes it here at the end of uh, the book of Samuel. What is the point of highlighting this matter? You remember that in our study of Samuel, we said at the end of this book, it is really stepping back and giving us something of an assessment of the Davidic kingdom. What should we think about the reign of David? What significance does it all have? And you remember that at the end of David's life, it gives us this uh, picture of understanding the, the importance of the Davidic kingdom because of the promises that were given to David. And you remember even in the last chapter there, uh, it was really devoted to the last words of David. And David's last words, presumably to the nation, his last words were about one that will come to rule all mankind. That one ruling over all in righteousness and in the fear of God, that such a one would bring like the dawning of the morning sun. It would bring the relief that we're all looking for. It would bring like the rain upon the ground, causing the grass to sprout quickly. It'll bring renewal. And so with David's last words, he points forward in hope that there will come a coming ruler who in the fear of God and in righteousness will bring renewal to God's creation. This is what we're to look to. And those are fitting words to wrap up the story of David. That you would think that the last words of David would actually sum up the book of Samuel itself. But instead, that's not what happens. Instead, after we're given the last words of David, the book of Samuel turns our attention to another event in David's life. This event of numbering the people. And it does so as a way of drawing attention to the unfolding purposes of God. And this evening, we want to see what the unfolding purposes of God are through this numbering uh, of the people. And what we want to see is, is that because God's anger is provoked by sin, we need to have a way to have it turned away through God's appointed means. So we're really looking at this idea of God's anger this evening, even in the numbering of the people. We want to think about it in three thoughts. We want to think about uh, the anger of God declared, demonstrated, and diverted. Well, first, uh, we want to think about the anger of God declared. What is it that made David's actions here so foolish? Uh, if we go back to that census of 1931, uh, why is it that uh, David's actions were declared to be something that were sinful, something that was uh, uh, unwise of David to have done? It doesn't seem to be in the actual act of taking a census. Two times during the life of Moses, the people were numbered uh, by God's command. 
And in the law of God, it also highlights that it was expected that this would happen again in the future. So the people were numbered during the time of Moses, and the law said that this would be something that would occur in the future. And so it's not necessarily the act in itself, but rather the, the motive that David had in doing this. Why was it that David was drawn into this uh, whole affair in the first place? And it doesn't say exactly why it is, but it seems that David was drawn to the idea of looking for confidence in the numbers themselves. Perhaps it would have appeased him or it would have given him a, a settled uh, state of thinking that the kingdom is secure because my army is such and such a size. Now no enemy can be a threat to us because we are sufficiently uh, large. In all of these ways, we see something how subtle it could have been for David to have been seduced by the, the size of numbers, how he was drawn uh, after this whole thing. But it doesn't explicitly tell us uh, uh, why David was drawn after this, but simply that his will prevailed over Joab. Um, but as he does this, uh, it uh, ultimately provokes uh, God's anger. But more than that, notice at the beginning of the chapter that God's anger is first announced as coming against Israel. It says in chapter 24, verse 1, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. God's anger has already been mentioned against Israel. You remember there was the blood guilt of Saul and God's anger came against Israel back then. Uh, here, once again, God's anger is stirred against the nation of Israel. But here, uh, this, this ultimately is going to be the means by which the Lord's judgment comes against the nation. And so it says the Lord himself incited David to go and number Israel. Uh, that according to David's own <coughs> evil intentions of his own heart, that he was drawn to doing this. But God would use that, that act of David to be the means by which he would bring his judgment on the nation of Israel, on David's people as well. And so we're told that David uh, numbers the people, but it is ultimately the means by which God's judgment uh, is going to come. David determines to number the people from Dan to Beersheba, and this whole project takes almost 10 months to complete. But at the end of it, you notice there in verse 10 that David realizes that what he did was unwise. It was wrong. Because in verse 10, it says, David's heart struck him after he numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Again, David here confesses to wrongdoing. I have been foolish. I have sinned. I have done wickedly in what I have done. But David's explanation of the wrongdoing seems to be wrapped up in his mindset or in his motive for doing it. This, though, uh, summarizes the reaction or the change that comes over David. The realization that what he did was wrong was something that affected him. We talk about repentance. Uh, what does it mean to repent? Uh, and we've seen David as someone who is a man that repents. 
You remember when he uh, committed his sin with Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan confronted David. David confessed his wrongdoing that he had sinned against the Lord. He repented. He turned directions. He had a change of mind over what he had done. No longer was he justifying himself and defending himself. He owned his sin. And again, you see that here in David. What does real repentance look like? Well, the first thing that it looks like is confession. Taking responsibility for what he did. David here in verse 10 does not excuse himself and rationalize it and say, well, really, it's not my fault. It's because the Philistines were mounting up. Uh, He doesn't say it wasn't my fault uh, because other people should have stepped in. Uh, David owns the fact that I have done what is foolish. I have sinned. Uh, He places the burden of responsibility on himself. But the second thing about his repentance is not only does he own or confess his wrongdoing and take responsibility for it, but he's convicted over the matter as well. It says that he was struck uh, by what he had done. David's heart struck him. It affected him. Uh, If we get hit, uh, we feel it. Uh, Maybe you've had that experience where, uh, uh, or you've seen an experience where someone uh, is walking out in the tall grass and something is in the grass and maybe they step on it only to see the the garden hoe or the rake or something to come up and to to hit them. Uh, They're impacted by it. David here, upon realizing what he has done, it bothers him. Uh, it, it affects him. He's not unmoved by it, but it rather upsets him. And so here he says, uh, it says that David's heart struck him about what he had done as well. But real repentance is not just taking responsibility or even feeling bad about what we did. Real genuine repentance is marked rather by a casting of oneself on God's mercy. And that's what we see David doing here because he turns to the Lord with his problem. David's heart struck him after he numbered the people and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly. He's turning to the Lord with his problem and he's seeking the Lord's mercy in spite of what he has just done. John Calhoun, uh, a pastor of the previous century, says godly sorrow and turning to God are inseparable. You are not genuinely sorry for your sins if you don't turn to God. You may wallow in self-pity, but that's not repentance according to the Bible. Genuine repentance turns to God for mercy. Anything short of that is not genuine biblical repentance. And so as we think about David's reaction here to what he did when he numbered the people, for 10 months he is doing this project of wanting to know how big his army is. But suddenly he comes to a realization that this wasn't a wise decision. And David confesses it. I have sinned. David is struck He is hit inwardly by this reality. It bothers him what he's done. But most of all, he turns to the Lord and says, I have sinned. He is looking to the Lord for help 
with his sins, not turning away from the Lord in despair. And so, uh, and we see this elsewhere. In verse 14, he does the same thing. He says, I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. You see how he is looking to put himself at the Lord's mercy, uh, because that is the best place to be. Uh, He is asking the Lord uh, to take away his iniquity. So genuine repentance is marked by a turning to the Lord for deliverance from our sin. So God's anger here is declared. It's declared against Israel. There is something that has happened in Israel's experience. We're not told the cause of God's anger here. One might be uh, inclined to try and guess, and many have tried to guess what it was that God was angry with Israel about. We don't know. But the point is, is that God's judgment was going to come against Israel. And it is through this means of David's foolishness of having the census that this anger of God is going to be demonstrated. David here recognizes that he has failed. He has fallen short as the shepherd king. He has not done wisely, but has done uh, foolishly in numbering the people. But then secondly, we're not only is the anger of God declared there against Israel, but then secondly, the anger of God is also demonstrated. In verses 11 and following, we are told that the prophet Gad uh, comes to David and presents to him these three choices. You remember Nathan. God sent the prophet Nathan to David to confront him about his sin, to lead him to repentance. That was why Nathan was there. It was to say, you are the man. It was so that David recognized that he was living and sheltering and harboring sin. And so when Nathan drove home his sin, it brought about a change. He was the instrument that God used. But notice here that David has already repented. He's already turned to the Lord. But now the Lord sends his prophet to David anyways. That in spite of David's repentance, God's anger is still going to be displayed. That God's anger is still coming against the nation. And so Gad, the prophet Gad, comes to David and announces these three options. Three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. The three options are three years of famine, three years of fleeing from your enemies, or three days of plague. And David can't choose. He, he doesn't know what is the best. And so he uh, puts himself back on the Lord's mercy. He says, let the Lord decide. It's better to fall into the hands of God uh, than to fall in the hands of men. And so uh, we're seeing here that the Lord's anger is going to come against the, the nation. But interestingly, he, he solicits the input of the king and how the nation is judged. Why doesn't the Lord simply choose one of those punishments himself? Why doesn't he just uh, bring it against Israel? Why does he tell the king to choose? Well, the king is the representative of the nation, and he is to identify with them and to go through their experience with them. And so David here is, uh, as the king, uh, is uh, sought after his input as to what would be an appropriate punishment. But again, David uh, seeks to put himself at the mercy of the Lord's own uh, discretion. 
So uh, the Lord himself brought a plague on the nation of Israel, and we're told that 70,000 died. And says in verse 16, when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and the, that the angel was working destruction among the people and said, it is enough, now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arorna, the Jebusite. So all of this is a demonstration of the reality of God's anger. People are dying. God's judgment is coming against the nation. Again, the basis of it is not explained here. What's at the forefront is the reality of God's anger and how ultimately it is coming against the nation because of a king who cannot prevent it. One who has fallen short himself cannot protect the people from the judgment of God. And so David there in verse 17 uh, is pleading on their behalf. When he saw the angel, he says, Behold, I have sinned, I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Here we're starting to see what a shepherd king was supposed to be. One who put the priority or put the, the concern of the people at a preeminence. One who was concerned about the flock and not just about himself. And so David here is owning the fact that he has fallen short. He has distorted God's ways. But he says, these people, what have they done? And while his mindset is right, his, his description isn't. Because the people had sinned. They had kindled uh, the anger of God themselves. So in all of this, we see a king wanting to protect his people from the judgment of God, but was not able to. He was wanting to protect his sheep uh, by uh, standing in their place, but he was not fit to. But all of this is actually anticipating the great shepherd king. It's anticipating what the Lord Jesus would be, the good shepherd who comes to lay down his life for his sheep, to protect them from the judgment of God. David fell short. He did wickedly. But when Jesus came into this world, he is able to intercede on their behalf, having not fallen short himself. And so we're seeing this census that is being taken. Uh, it is in the basis of the anger of God coming against Israel. We see that anger of God being demonstrated in the plague that kills many people. The anger that cannot be stopped by the king because he too has fallen short, even while he pleads on their behalf. But ultimately, we see how that anger uh, can be averted. There in verse 16, when it says, it is enough, now stay your hand. Uh, the idea is, is that God's wrath has been stayed, as Dale Davis puts it, but not satisfied. The problem isn't over, in other words. Instead, the Lord is unfolding to the people something of how his anger will be turned away. The prophet Gad told David, there in verse 18, Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arorna, the Jebusite. If you read in the book of Chronicles, you'll find out that Gad himself was told that by an angel. The angel instructed Gad for an altar to be built. 
Gad told David an altar needs to be built here at the threshing floor of Aurora, where the angel of judgment was. And so the fact that God commands an altar to be built tells us that it is necessary. In other words, that God's wrath is still not been addressed. And so all of this is telling us something of the necessity of a sacrifice to be offered up. It is only by way of sacrifice that the wrath of God can be turned away. And so we are told that David would go and he offered uh, both burnt offerings and peace offerings. The burnt offering was the most common sacrifice in the Old Testament. It was the offering for atoning for sin. It was one of, of putting away God's wrath. The peace offering was a celebration of the peace that has been restored. And so when David has an altar built, it is to acknowledge the wrath of God, to atone for sin, and to celebrate the peace of God that has been uh, achieved, the peace of God that has been restored. And we are told that as a result of that uh, sacrifice and that plea for the land, that the plague was averted. But why was an altar built there at the threshing floor of Aurora? Well, it's where the angel of judgment was. It's where David met with the angel. But there's more than that. Because the threshing floor of Aurora, according to the book of Chronicles, is also known as Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah is the place where Abraham took his son, his only son, Isaac, and was going to offer him as a sacrifice. That's what we were reading about in Genesis 22. You remember how Abraham was commanded to offer a burnt offering of his only son, the son whom he loved. But then the Lord intervened and prevented Abraham from carrying that action out and instead provided a substitute, a ram, in the place of his son. And you remember what Abraham called that mount. He called it the mount that the Lord will provide. It will be said the Lord will provide. You would think that Abraham would call it the mount where the Lord has provided. But he didn't. Abraham called it the mount where it will be provided. Abraham was looking forward when he made that statement. The Lord will provide a sacrifice. The Lord will provide for what we need. And now here at that same place, the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite, is the place where David is to construct this altar. It's also the same place where the temple is going to be built by Solomon under David's instructions. And so why is it that at the end of the book of Samuel, we don't end with the words and look forward to a coming ruler who will rule in righteousness and in the fear of God? Why doesn't it just end with those words of hope? Because the book of Samuel wants us to see the unfolding purposes of God. God used David to assign the place where sacrifices would be offered. That this is where the anger of God will be turned away. 
This is where the anger of God will be atoned for. At the altar that the Lord himself appoints. That it would be through the mediation of the Lord's servant. Interceding on behalf of the people. And offering up sacrifice on their behalf. That the plague of God's judgment would be satisfied. And so we're actually given a picture here of what, again, the Lord Jesus is. Because a thousand years later, just a short distance from the threshing floor of Arorna, Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified as the Lord's provision. But Jesus was crucified because he was the Lord's provision as a sacrifice. Not because of any wickedness that he had done, but because of the wickedness of his sheep. That Jesus could and was willing to take the place of his sheep so that the judgment of God would not fall on them. That Jesus himself uh, was willing to take their place uh, even though he had not sinned, even though he had not done wickedly. He was willing to take their place because they're his sheep. And so he is willing uh, to say, please let your hand be against me uh, instead. As the good shepherd king, uh, he asked the Lord's hand to come against him. And the outcome of his intercession was that their sins are put away. So as we think about this census of David, a census that is well remembered, even in government records, what's the significance of David's actions here? It provoked God's anger, yes. But how was God's anger turned away? And we see that it is by the Lord's appointment, where the Lord has an altar. And the writer of Hebrews tells us we have an altar. We have one who has atoned for our sins. By his sacrifice, God's anger has been put away. And so if you're trusting in Christ, you can know peace with God. You can know mercy with God, the forgiveness of sins. Through the shepherd king, we can know the anger of God has turned away. God's anger is real, but so is his salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray as we think about uh, the events of David's life. We pray, Lord, that we would see how you work in history and how you are bringing all things uh, together uh, for the unfolding of salvation in Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would be looking to our shepherd king, the one who is willing uh, to have the hand of judgment come against him, uh, willing uh, to stand in the place of sinners and to endure the wrath of God in order that we might have fellowship uh, with God. We pray, Lord, that we would be humble, uh, but also people who are uh, knowing in whom we believe. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.